Have you ever heard of insect politics? Neither have I. Insects don't have politics. They're very brutal. No compassion. No compromise. We can't trust the insect. I'd like to become the first insect politician. You see, I'd like to, uh, but oh, I'm afraid. Um, I don't know what you're trying to say. I'm saying. I'm an insect who dreamt he was a man and loved it, but now the dream is over. Welcome to Generation Lost, the show where me and Jeremy watch movies. And this week, we watched some movies. We watched a fucking humdinger. Oh, yeah? We watched. <laughs> we watched a real-ass movie. We watched a real-ass movie, one of my favorite uh, directors that's currently mm-hmm. alive. Um, but before we get into that, uh, what did you watch this week, Jeremy? Um, so I watched, it's not really a movie per se, uh, although by our definition, of course it is a movie. (laughs) Um, I watched the third season of Search Party. Okay. What is that? Search Party was a show that was on like, on one of those like garbage, uh, cable channels. Like Like, one of those uh, ones that you just like don't even think has original programming. Like like, Logo or HDTV or something. Exactly. Um, I think it might've been on like Lifetime or something weird (laughs) like that. Um, Okay. But it was a show that started, I think like five or six years ago now. Um, and the first season, it's, um, the woman who played maybe on Arrested Development. Oh, um. Yeah, I don't remember. I don't know her name. Shook, shot, shot her or something. Whatever, something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then like uh, John Early is in it, and um, every episode has like a bunch of like kind of like young comics who just will show up in bit parts. Anyway, the the story of the first season is um, kind of similar to like Under the Silver Lake, where oh, really? it's a um, sort of like a neo noir sort of thing where they're like reinventing the mystery story for the for like the current day and age but the thing with search party was that it was very much a um like pointing a uh, a wayward glance at uh, <laughs> millennial culture okay um the and it was like generation yeah, yeah, yeah but like from the perspective of millennials so it was actually like good and well done okay and so it's like the story is that maybe is like a chick living in brooklyn who um Oh, has a friend from high school who like she hasn't talked to in years who just suddenly goes missing and she okay. becomes obsessed with finding her and um 
just gets really, really in deep into finding this girl. And okay. um, she like ends up meeting this like private detective who's also working on the case and they start hanging out and they start fucking and she's like cheating on her boyfriend with the private detective for a little while. Wow. Um, this sounds but it's all about serious. her. Is it serious or is it very? It's uh, very funny. It's oh, it's, very it's a funny. really funny, but it. I mean, it it takes itself seriously, um, but it's definitely meant to be funny. And um, but anyway, she. Uh, it's all about her obsession in the first season, and um, how it just like destroys her relationships with everybody. Um, kind of weirdly <laughs> similar to the funny. fly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But it's about how, like, her obsession with this case kind of ruins all her relationships. And then, but she, like, keeps all these people in her orbit because she's a very charismatic and fun person that everybody wants to be around. And so the people who she ruins her relationships with still are around. And she, like, convinces them to help her find uh, Chantel. That's her name, is the woman she's looking for. And anyway, the end of season one, you know, not to spoil too much, but... um, it's not it's it's not what you think it's going to be and then uh i mean i guess i have to spoil yeah, it a little spoil bit it. <laughs> yeah whatever so the end of season I'm, 1 like, is that i've never heard of this the, yeah you'd love it you'd really enjoy it it's very good this is the thing about spoilers and the and if you're new to the show it's important for us to tell you this i mean i've said this in like episode 1 but like sometimes spoilers are the reason i watch something Right. Like, I would never watch this if I saw a poster for it, unless Jeremy told me at least all of the first season. <laughs> so I think it's, <laughs> I think spoilers are probably pretty good, and, I, right. you know, it'll make you watch something if you find that there's a cool hook. So what happens? So it's so <laughs> the whole season, it's taking itself very seriously as the search for this missing woman, and, like, she goes down all these rabbit holes where she's like, was she murdered? Was she kidnapped? Is she sex trafficked? And okay. she explores all these angles, but then it turns out that Chantel has been just, like, at an Airbnb unwinding and just getting off the radar <laughs> for a bit. <laughs> but because of, like, the way that the story is gone up until the point where they find her, they're in this, like, untenable situation where she's murdered somebody. <laughs> Like Allie. the girl who's been looking for Chantel murders somebody in oh the search God. for her because she thinks like this is that serious. <laughs> like Chantel is missing, yeah. and then it turns out she's just been off the grid. So it the first season works really well as like a self-contained story, right? It works mm-hmm. really well as a as a long film. And I remember finishing the season and being like. I really hope they don't make season two. I really hope <laughs> they just have the integrity to just let this actually just be a one season story that just mm. is what it is. Uh, and they didn't. They made season two and now they've made season three. But I actually think that they did the smartest thing you can do okay. in this context, which is that they've just spent the last two seasons punishing the characters. <laughs> <laughs> just every single episode is just like putting the pressure more and more on them of like, you killed a guy and there's no way out of this, <laughs> but there's no resolution coming to it either. There's no like, there's no relief that comes from them getting caught for the crime or anything like that. Do it they just, get caught? Uh, sort of. I mean, like the third season is all them on trial and, um, <laughs> but they end up, I mean, again, spoiler, but like they end up getting off like they they because uh-huh. they're such compelling, fun people. <laughs> the, the jury is just charmed by them and they're just like, and uh, I guess that's it. I guess we're fine. <laughs> so season four, I guess, is going to be about maybe like the like 
the 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 specter of this murder hanging over them or whatever. Wow. I don't know though. So it's so it's still being renewed? <laughs> I think so. I think I'm pretty sure I've heard that they already filmed season 4. That's crazy. Because what had happened was that season they made season four. 1 and it was really successful for the channel it was on and then they made season 2 and it did okay and then they were like, well, I don't know if we're going to make season 3. And but they had already I guess produced it. So they were trying to find a home for it for ages, and then finally HBO Max put it out. Oh, it's an HBO show now. Now it is, yeah. That's um, And wild. apparently they already made season three and four, and they had them in the can before the <laughs> HBO Max deal came through. I think they just like made the show <laughs> just because they wanted to, and then they shopped it around. That's so wild. Yeah. I've never heard of a show doing that. Like, I think more shows should do that, so that there's no, like... Uh, you know, chance of industry uh, changes. It's yeah. just like, you can have this. I made it. <laughs> and you get to tell the story you want on your own terms. Mm-hmm. The other way to do that is to do the um, the old school Ricky Gervais style, which was that uh, every show he did would have two seasons and a Christmas special. And that's it. And that's it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he would always set that as the goal from day one, is like, I'm going to tell this story in the amount of time of two seasons and a Christmas special. Mm-hmm. And I always found that very admirable. Yeah, because then you can never overstay your welcome. Mm-hmm. You can always you're just always hitting like it's it's like a two seasons and a, a basically a movie is basically like just enough to make people want more of it mm-hmm. or fondly look back on it even if they don't want more of it. <laughs> yeah, and that's the that's the model is he got it from Faulty Towers. There's only two seasons in a Christmas special of Faulty Towers. Mm-hmm. I yeah. felt like that show was on forever. No, nah. two seasons in a Christmas special. It's the perfect show. Faulty Towers <laughs> is the best. <laughs> I fucking love that show. I like it too. I well, I saw a lot. I saw a lot of it when I was a kid, but mm-hmm. uh, I couldn't say what. I couldn't tell you what any episode is about. Did you know they tried to make an American version? think so i think i recall like they always try to do that i don't know what the i don't know what the mentality is there to be like this show is very (laughs) popular in the uk we should make an american version of it instead of just being like instead of just trusting an american audience to enjoy a show that has british accents like what is the what's the problem gonna be is like same culture like yeah we have not there's no like I definitely they drive kind on the other understand. side. That's the big <laughs> yeah. change. They have mushy peas. Yeah, they will never understand our culture. Yeah, you'll be watching like a a, a morning scene and they're eating tomatoes with breakfast, and you're like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> I'm turning this right off. <laughs> These fucking deviants. Yeah, it's not like they have like some weird ass like christmas tradition where there's a blackface character yeah it's not holland (laughs) dude i i kicked the hornet's nest today i like got into it with um (laughs) apparently there's like a big i mean we've talked about this before personally that there's like a big culture war around schwarte is what is it uh there's like a big uh culture war around whether or not it's okay to do that and apparently there's people who just name search that (laughs) Because I was just like joking around with somebody on Twitter about it today. And then there was just like four different Dutch weirdos who were just like, it's actually, you're projecting your own racism onto it. It's totally fine that we do it. (laughs) 
You can't even mention you mention Spark Pete on Twitter and they throw you in jail. They throw you in jail. You try to put on blackface, they throw you in jail. <laughs> they throw you right in prison. Uh, but but you yeah, know, I would I, I would highly recommend Search Party. Search Party sounds cool, but you know what it reminds me of is this movie called uh, Cold Weather, mm-hmm. um, which is, have I mentioned that sh- movie on this show before? I don't, I don't remember. It's uh, directed by a director called Aaron Katz, who like kind of ran in that circle with like Joe Swanberg and uh, the Duplass brothers and shit, mm-hmm. but he, as far as I know, never really got past like the really, really indie movie. Uh, stuff like no one ever offered him a fucking Superman or whatever. <laughs> right. Um, and it, I think his best movie or the one that I have seen that I liked the best was called uh, Cold Weather. And it's just about this guy who like drops out of college uh, and like goes back to live in his own town and works at an ice factory. And for the first like 30 minutes of the movie, it's just like him hanging out with his sister and his new friend who works at the ice factory. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, his ex-girlfriend, same thing, just, like, disappears. And, like, no one can find them. And so him and his sister, like, start to get concerned. And, like, it honestly becomes, like, a detective story. They start, like, finding clues and yeah. stuff. And But it's all that very mumblecore, like, really naturalistic, boring kind of talking that mumblecore does. But then it right. very slowly develops into like an actual detective story. And mm-hmm. I think it's the best use of mumblecore that I've seen because it's like this really sweet story about a brother and sister and just them sort of learning to trust each other and be friends again right. uh, at, around this sort of like detective story about a missing person. And it like honestly does it, but it's not like brick where they like overdo you know, the tropes. It's just like, he likes mystery stories. And then he's like, Oh, this is like in Sherlock Holmes. (laughs) And she's like, and then like, it's this, them doing it. It's really great. It's a great movie. This is, this one's more like, um, it's more like the under the silver, Lake sort of thing where like the, the story of it isn't that like, she likes mysteries in particular. It's more that like, she just has nothing else going on in her life. And this becomes like something for her to do. (laughs) <laughs> and she's like just kind of like a she's like an aimless millennial with like no economic prospects and like fully reliant on her boyfriend for financial support and mm-hmm. like she just has nothing going for her and she just like gets obsessed with this so that she has some sort of purpose in life. And I would also say though that like in terms of like mumblecore like search party is like more uh I would say the comedy style is like more bombastic. It's way bigger. Mm-hmm. Like uh are you familiar with John Early at all? No, who's that? He's, um, it's him and it was a Kate Birdland. He's got this like co-conspirator that he works with all the time, but, um, (laughs) he's, uh, he's like a gay comic who just has this like really big personality. And if you ever saw him, you'd, you'd know exactly what I mean. He like, um, Oh, he's, he's Jenna's son on 30 rock. Is he? According to Wikipedia. (laughs) Oh, interesting. Okay. Sure. Um, he's, uh, I'm trying to think his, his big, uh, one of his big stand-up routines is just doing a Britney Spears impression that's, like, impeccable. (laughs) (laughs) That already sounds funny. Um, but he has, like, a whole B-plot in, uh, the first season where, like, 
it turns out, or maybe it's in the second season, that it turns out that like everything he's ever told anybody about himself is a lie, and he's like <laughs> lied his way up to this like pretty major position in life by saying he like survived cancer or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> somebody finally is like, "You didn't survive cancer," and he's like, "No, I did not." And then it becomes like a major story, and he like gets a book deal to like write a story about living his life as a liar. <laughs> <laughs> like a million little pieces guy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and so it kind of like the whole show is just people like getting themselves into these like horrible positions and then somehow it becoming like even bigger <laughs> because of it. It kind of sounds like a fucking like millennial curb your enthusiasm or something. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. <laughs> just like um, them fucking up and into stupider and stupider situations. <laughs> Right, and um, but it it all has this sort of like tinge of uh, of critique. There's a mm. lot of it that's just like I can't really describe it necessarily, and it, and it feels weird now because of the the length of time between the first season and now. It feels like the satire at the time was much more like present and and needed mm. because we're talking about like I mean I, I'm pretty sure it started in like like at the same time as like Broad City would have. Oh, so interesting. you're so talking like about sort direct... of an end of Obama era sort of everyone else is like really celebrating this sort of culture that's happening at the time and search party is kind of critiquing the excesses of it. Interesting. So it's like a direct critique of shows like that. Kind of. Yeah. Uh huh. Well, you sold me. I'll try and watch it. It's worth it. The first season especially is very worth a watch and it's not very long. The episodes are like 20 minutes. Oh, really? Yeah. It's, it goes very quick. Wow. Okay. I'm definitely interested. Um, Sounds cool. Yeah. So what did you watch this week? Uh, I watched, so I've been listening to uh, the new um, podcast called Blowback Mm -hmm. about the Iraq war. Um, Is it all public now? No, no. I did a 30 day Stitcher free trial so I could binge it Um, and I'm almost done with it. Um, It's very good and very interesting. Very well done. It's Brendan James and Noah something. I don't remember his name, um, yeah. but it's very good. Got a lot of fun cameos, but that sort of put me in the mood to watch a movie that I had sort of always wanted to see, but like was kind of turned away from it for all of the, I guess, all of the uh, talking, the the discourse about it. It like came out in a time when like there was discourse about it and like I didn't watch it just because I was like, ah, whatever, if it's not good, I won't watch it. But I ended up watching it because I've been thinking a lot about the Iraq War, and so I watched Vice, um, which was... Which is, oh, the fucking Dick Cheney movie. The Dick Cheney movie. Yes, of course. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, I, for whatever reason, I was like, you watched, like, Vice News? What? Yeah, I watched the <laughs> the television show Vice. I watched Vice of, Nightly All of <laughs> on HBO. HBO. <laughs> yeah. No, I uh, watched the Adam McKay follow-up to Big Short... Yeah. Um, the Dick Cheney movie Vice, um, which was not as good as. So I think somebody has. I've. I've. I saw the Big Short and I took it as an interesting way, a way to explain the 2008 financial collapse to normies, mm-hmm. and I took it as that only. And lots of you know leftists have pointed out that it's like the 
people who are you know steve carell and uh bradley cooper like are kind of made out to be the good guys in that story and they're obviously incredibly evil <laughs> mm-hmm. um you know they're just huge asshole hedge fund people who benefited from the 2008 financial collapse like they weren't actually people who had like a moral stance and were like trying to stop it or anything but they're kind of made out to be the heroes in that movie have you seen the big short yeah yeah so i felt like that was a reasonable critique but i thought it was probably a better way to explain what actually happened in the 2008 financial collapse than inside job which is a great documentary but very technical right but I feel like Adam McKay kind of took those criticisms too much to heart <laughs> mm-hmm. because Vice ends up being this, it might as well just be a documentary because it doesn't let anything, anyone be a real character. I felt it sort yeah. of just feels like, I feel like Chaney's barely in the movie, even though he's in almost every scene. He just like, I mean, obviously, I think Christian Bale does a great job. He's yeah, incredible. Yeah, it doesn't feel like it gives you... For, for how much of it was built around, like... I remember Bale at the Academy Awards or whatever said something like, and I'd like to thank Dick Cheney for being the most evil man ever and, like, inspiring this role. Mm-hmm. Um, for, for all that sort of sentiment around it, it didn't feel like they motivated a lot of his, his uh, bad actions later in life. It doesn't, like those early scenes don't feel like there's ever like a turning point where it's like, and this is where he becomes a modern Nazi. Right. And it doesn't also, you never, there's so much stuff in it where it's like cutting to random brown people getting hurt, mm-hmm. you know, or just like explosions in Iraq or whatever. Right. But I don't, it does a pretty bad job. Like showing the connections exactly because it, almost entirely skips over what Halliburton was and mm-hmm. how he benefited. Like it doesn't really explain enough to be like a straight up documentary of like Dick Cheney benefited in these ways. Like it's almost afraid to like, it's afraid to point any fingers. It's afraid. It seems to be afraid to really specifically point the finger at capitalism and the way our state is run around it yeah. and how it's always sort of been this way. And Cheney is only looked at as being especially evil for pushing it a little farther. I'd, I'd even say that it, further than that, I'd say that it's afraid to even point a finger at Dick Cheney in any meaningful way. <laughs> like, I don't think that the movie actually portrays him in a particularly negative way. I mean, he's definitely, like, clearly supposed to be power-hungry. And, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, it almost... It feels like a movie that has internalized the the narrative of a foreign dictator like sort of what people what americans think like the soviet union was and then put that fictional narrative onto an american person Mm -hmm. like he's like all he wants is power for no reason (laughs) like there's a there's no scene in the movie where he talks about money you know or like what he wants you know like he's like an ideologue for no reason but they don't know exactly what his ideology is Mm -hmm. and so it just seems to be this weird like bumbling nerd who just sort of like sneers his way into they also refuse to like really talk about how 9-11 uh 
why was orchestrated by him. Yes, specifically <laughs> that, but also why he benefited from it. Right. Like he's like they don't really say why the war benefits him. Like oil, yes, but like all of the Halliburton contracts, Ahmed Chalabi, like listening to blowback, it's like they didn't know anything about the Iraq war, you know, <laughs> like there's none of that in the movie. So yeah, he ends it, it up feels like it was of, made before the Iraq war. Yeah, <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> it, it feels like it's made before, like figuring out anything about who Dick Cheney, like the depths of his sadism. Um, mm-hmm. So it ends up kind of just feeling a little bit bland i thought um i mean lots of great scenes i thought you know steve carell's rumsfeld was a much more interesting movie like yeah i would very good i would have loved to see a movie of just steve carell being rumsfeld what did you think of um what did you think of christian bale's performance that's the thing it's such a shame because he's incredible like i loved him in that movie like i will i you know i want to see cheney just walking around and then admitting the evil he did but like the movie hides it and the movie kind of hides his performance too i don't know did you not like it i thought it was okay i thought it was um i think he he's like kind of of this set of actors that gets a lot of like extra credit uh for like gaining and losing weight yeah um (laughs) i like it, it sure it's impressive that you like put on the weight and you lost it again but like I mean, I the the comparison to make is between this and W, which, which I, don't know I if you haven't ever saw seen. That. No, um, it's uh, Brolin, right? Josh yeah. Brolin is is W in that. He is unreal, really, <laughs> for for like being of an era that was so like awash in George W. Bush impressions. He yeah. <laughs> uh, he does a really incredible job in it. Um, and it's, it's, he has like a particular focus on like facial acting. Like he really gets Bush's like the way that like Bush like scrunches his face like really well. And I feel Um, like what's so hard about George Bush is that you can't play him. If you're playing him in a real movie, you can't mm -hmm. play a caricature. Like you have to be serious when you're saying like, they hate our freedom. Like, yeah, I was like. He really. It's going to be the that. same thing with Trump. It's going to be impossible to play a serious Trump later. And well, he's he's harder. I feel like because he's well, maybe it's just because we're in the middle of it. But he yeah. seems like not a serious person now. But that's what I would have said that about Bush. <laughs> yeah. I would have said that about Bush back in the day. Like he's not a serious man. You can't do a serious version of yeah. Him. <laughs> it's going to be really hard. I mean, that's I why I felt the same way about Clinton though. Clinton kind of had this like goofiness about him that you were just like, how is anyone ever going to be a real Clinton? Yeah, I mean, I but I think with anybody like so scrutinized and especially so evil. Um, mm-hmm. He, that's like Hitler, right? Like there was a decade where Hitler was like, people were just like, wah, 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 wah. right, <laughs> and, yeah, and like people were like, just laughing at that as a thing, and then, and then right after it was like, oh, he killed so many people, right? <laughs> You're like, it's not that funny. <laughs> let's maybe again. let's not do like the dictator anymore, <laughs> right? Um, yeah, I mean, didn't Charlie Chaplin say he was like, I wouldn't have made the movie if I knew that was? I'm happening? pretty sure, yeah. Um, um, but I wasn't thinking of the dictator. Actually, I was thinking of the dictator, which is the Donald Duck one. <laughs> oh right, yeah, that's funny too. <laughs> but um, I, I mean, yeah, it's it's really hard when 
I feel like everyone's a little silly and larger than life when they have like absolute power of like the global empire of America. <laughs> right. And they don't seem like they're like you have like an image of what you expect of that person. And when they're not that, it's very hard to like picture somebody playing it because like you only get the you only get the 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 surface view. Right. You only get to see the facade of the president. Right. And for people like, for all his faults, Obama, you had an understanding of like, if I looked behind the curtain, it would look like there's president stuff happening back there. <laughs> yeah, you know? well, that's the whole thing about liberals, right? Is that it's all just aesthetic of like, right. we want someone to behave like someone that we think could mm-hmm. lead millions of people into killing other people and we will come out on victorious. It's like you want a right. dad. They want a father you want, figure. You want somebody who essentially you couldn't make a goofy movie about. Exactly. You can only make a real movie about him. It's hard. Obama, there's no like goofy Obama movie. You couldn't do it. <laughs> yeah, well, it'd have to be completely fictitious, right? Right. You'd have to, you know, make him be a idiot behind the scenes or something. I don't even think it would work. I think you'd have to do like a Harold and Kumar where like the bit is that it's like goofy characters who end up in Obama's office. Right. Because the um, whole thing is about looking professional. Right. Whereas like with Trump, it feels like if you looked behind the curtain, like it's like a it's the Benny Hill show, right? You yeah. imagine the Trump White House on a day-to-day basis being like, you know, yakety sax playing and stuff. <laughs> yeah. But you could do an Obama that was like actually really evil. Mm-hmm. You yes, could do, that you, you could, could do. You could do a horror, you know, not horror, but like you could do a tense, you know, dark movie about Obama's presidency. But you couldn't do like a, look at this idiot. <laughs> yeah, this goofball. You can do like how high, but it's like the president. <laughs> is uh, is W very s- silly? No, 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 not at all. It's very serious. Is um, it a good movie? I remember it being, I haven't seen it in, I mean, since it came out basically, but um, I remember it being incredible. And really? him in particular being very good. Yeah, I don't know. I think I think you're right about Christian Bale getting a lot of uh, credit for the fucking weight stuff. But I also think he's a, just a good actor. Um, yeah, like he's very talented. Going from, you know, American Psycho to um, American Hustle. Right? Yeah. That movie. Like, right. he's so charming and weird and interesting. Like... It's a totally he's like different person every movie. And I yeah. mean, I think that just the weight loss is like not I'm not impressed, but he does <laughs> sort of nail it when he, you know, he transforms his body but also his personality. I think he's right. good. Uh, but he just doesn't have a lot to do in Vice. Like I think his performance is good. The writing of the character is very very lacking. <laughs> yeah, well he's, I wonder if part of the problem is that like the natural arc of a story about somebody like Dick Cheney would end with their reckoning uh, mm-hmm. or at least them, even if it's like a, you know, bad guy wins at the end, it's them narrowly avoiding, avoiding their, their reckoning. And uh, because of the real life scenario in which Dick Cheney is still not living in the Hague, you know, like right. you just, like, there's no, there's no uh, compelling way to write the story of Dick Cheney because he was born, he lived, he did evil stuff. And then uh, now he continues yeah. to live and nobody knows really what he's up to. Right. And I think, you know, it just felt so cowardly to like write a bunch of stuff about his gay daughter and his heart attacks and stuff. Right. It's like, 
nobody gives a single shit about his actual life. Like, I want to know about the bad shit he did. And you should tell people about it and not gloss all over it like you do. Because I feels like that part's gloss over. And then, like, his heart attacks are the stuff you really get to find out about. It's like, I don't care. Right. I don't care about his heart attacks. <laughs> uh, his gay daughter, at least, is like, you see what a, like, even on a personal level, what a shitty dude he is. Right. Because he I mean, betrays his daughter, right? He, it definitely like, needs to be in the movie. But, like, there's so much more time on that than, like what Halliburton is and mm-hmm. how he benefits off of it and like why Iraq happened. Like it's just not in the movie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's so, pretty weak. It's a weak film. It was weak. It was funner than I, it was better than I thought it was going to be. Cause the people were just like, this movie sucks. Um, I thought it was going to be, Rog have hated it. That's something I remember about Vice is that yeah. everybody else, like Jake and Jake and Alex and everybody were like, yeah, Vice is pretty good. You know, Bale's pretty good <laughs> in it. And then uh, Rog was like, fucking sucks. And he like got really <laughs> mad at everybody about it. I don't think it fucking sucks. I think it's, it's, uh, it does have, it could have been a lot better though. Like it's mm-hmm. a, it's a, pr- yeah. it's a, the more I thought about it, like I enjoyed it while it was on. It's a well-crafted thing where it's like, I think Adam McKay is talented and does his thing fun in, in, in a fun way. But like the more I thought about it, the more I wanted it to be something it wasn't. Um, right. And it didn't sell me on being what it was. So I wouldn't recommend it, uh, <laughs> it you know, unless you're really craving some uh, some iraq war stuff i'm sure there's better movies that i can't there's think of right movies now for sure yeah um, um the hurt locker <laughs> yeah good iraq war movie yeah the hurt locker is a much better movie what about world trade center <laughs> <laughs> with <laughs> or, nicholas um, cage yeah what was the other one was um flight 93 oh my god <laughs> yeah uh that's uh, a good one uh three, remember me three kings three kings i remember being very good but that's uh that's the first iraq war Oh, they, yeah, right. That's the other one. Yeah, that's the regular Gulf War. The regular Gulf War, not the Iraq War. Has Oh, Jarhead. Great. great Jarhead. Movie. Also original Iraq War, though. Really? Yeah. Uh-huh. That was Gulf War, too? Fuck. Has no one made a, a cynical Iraq War movie? Uh, I think The Hurt Locker is pretty cynical. Oh, okay. Um, I'm sure there's more that we're not thinking of. I'm sure. Just write in the it's comments. It's been so many years. <laughs> there's yeah. been so much Iraq war. <laughs> yeah, tweet at me some uh, good, uh, very cynical anti-Iraq war movies. Because yeah. I can't remember any and of don't them. don't you dare fucking say Zero Dark Thirty. We already talked about that and we don't, don't like dare. it. Don't you dare. Don't you not- fucking dare. <laughs> Do not fucking tell me to watch that movie. It's terrible. And I already did. Um, you can go listen to that episode if you feel like it. It's a fucking terrible movie. Anyway, let's get into the movie we did watch. Yeah, the motherfucking Fly, 1986. 1986, the year of my birth. Uh, This was a me pick. Um, This movie is directed by David Cronenberg. It stars Jeffrey Goldblum, Gina Davis, and basically no one else. Yeah, there's only one other person in the movie, basically. Uh, And and David Cronenberg is in it. um, Is he the doctor? Yeah. Yeah. so the movie is about, it is a remake of of an old 1950s horror movie called The Fly. Yeah, very um, minimally a remake, though. It's really yeah, more not, of like a, it's a in the same way that like, Tarantino like, remade The Inglorious Bastards, <laughs> essentially. <laughs> yeah, or um, the way John Carpenter remade 
the the thing that came to earth right, or whatever yes. it's uh-huh. it's very different and much much better um so this movie is about a nerdy uh very socially awkward jeff goldblum whose name is seth uh brundle and he uh is at a party and meets a journalist who he doesn't understand as a journalist because he's autistic uh and he uh thinks that he just wants to show her this thing because she's cool and uh he's been working on something very exciting and it turns out to be a teleportation device um and she is very excited and wants to write a story about it but uh he says please don't she's going to do it anyway uh her boss is like you got tricked this is a, a parlor trick there's no way it's a teleportation device he decides that he he invites her basically to to chronicle his 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 invention of the thing because he can't do um inanimate or animate objects he can't do people or animals or whatever right, he can only do like stockings and stuff right so <laughs> so he tries a few times some very gory failures happen where he turns a baboon inside out um uh he finally figures out how to teach the computer to do it uh they do a few tests finally the big moment is he uh he puts himself through it yeah, and meanwhile, you, they've they've started dating at this point. Oh yeah, yeah. They're Him fucking and Gina now. Davis have started fucking. They're, they're they're just like fully. They're like in a relationship at this point. She's like, we should go away together. We should go on yeah. a vacation. And uh, he decides to be um, kind of a jerk and does the final the the final test. The thing he really wants is to send himself through the teleportation device, and he um, does it without her there. And um, he films it though. And it works. It works perfectly. But uh, you, as the audience, basically noticed that a fly got in the other end of the teleportation device and something maybe is weird happening. You find out uh, he seems crazy. He's going more and more like he's hype. He's like, I feel purified. I feel incredible. I'm eating all this sugar. <laughs> Stuff is really wild and crazy. Um, and and she's like, I think something is wrong. They said they were going to send the baboon that they did send through. Um, to figure out what hap- if he's actually okay. Um, funnily, he never shows up again, <laughs> uh, but we'll get into that later. Um, <laughs> but we so soon find out that he starts growing these weird fly hairs and starts being really aggressive. Um, and uh, she cuts his little fly hairs off and sends them to a lab uh, and finds out that they're insect... Of- yeah, they're fly hairs. They're fly hairs. And... Um, <laughs> So he starts losing his hair and teeth and like slowly disintegrating. And uh, as he, he slowly finds out that what, what happened, he asks the computer what's going on. And the computer tells him you got fused with a fly and your genes are, you're basically on a genetic level. You are now part fly and you're transforming. And you know, you basically what happens when you have a gene deficiency is they start multiplying and you know, things, right things fuck up and so she realizes she's pregnant right um which is very scary for her um and she has weird very disgusting dreams <laughs> about yeah, and jeff goldblum is fully turning into a fly at this point he's like just like all brown and gunky and then he like pukes white acid and stuff it's disgusting yeah it's very disgusting <laughs> Um, she kind of goes back to her ex-boyfriend who is also her boss, um, kind of weird situation and sort of, um, is sort of leaning on him while she's going through this. And then, um, 
you know, cutting between her dealing with being pregnant with the fly and him sort of trying to figure out how to heal himself. Um, and then that all kind of just accumulates and uh, she finally tries to get an abortion. Jeff Goldblum, uh, the Brundle fly, steals her from the abortion clinic and uh, takes her back and has devised a plan to all three of or him and the baby and the and her all go through uh the teleportations to fuse all together and it will be more fly will be more human than fly all together as three people and uh her ex comes and and uh severs the cord with a shotgun in a big climax and uh Jeff Goldblum gets fused with also the pod <laughs> yeah. um and then he gets double fused and then um uh, asked to be killed <laughs> uh he's now a fully like literally a a big red insect and is like kill me and yeah. um she shoots him with a shotgun credits that's yeah, the end roll of the credits <laughs> um i like how this movie only exists within the 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 small window of this exact story Mm-hmm. Because, like we said, there's only two characters really. There's kind of a third, and there's really not a fourth. No. And um, but the story begins at like the first, first, first thing we see after credits roll is uh, them at a party meeting each other, and mm-hmm. he literally just from the get go is like, "I'm working on an amazing thing," and she's like, <laughs> "Really? Are you?" And he's like, "Yes, I am." And then they go to look at it, and you're you're in the story already. And then the last thing you see is like she blows his fucking head off, and then it, that's it. They don't even like go outside and be like, "Phew, that's over with," you know? <laughs> yeah, there is no breath once the movie really gets started. It's it 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 takes off, just pedal to the metal. Begins yeah. with a teleportation scene. He teleports her stocking, uh, and then that's it. We're off to the races. Um, and it never really lets up and it just gets grosser and grosser and more upsetting and sadder as it goes on. And then it ends yeah. with her just blowing his face off. And then like, literally there's no breath after that. It's just like, she's crying. And then that's directed that's by it. Draver Cronenberg. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so had you seen this movie before? I thought I had. Oh, okay. Um, I coming into this, I was like, Oh cool. I'm going to watch the fly again. And um, I think (laughs) what had happened was some wires got crossed where I was mixing it up with like a lot of stuff from that era, just visually having seen clips of it on like, you know, AMC, you know, uh, best horror movie type shit and whatever. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then also with this plot having been parodied a million times, uh, I believe notably in Dexter's lab, they did it. Oh, yeah, totally. Um. And uh, so I felt like I was really familiar with this movie coming into it. And then once I started watching it, I was like, oh, I have never seen this. What the <laughs> fuck? <laughs> it's so gross. Yeah. It's really disgusting. So- I, like, and I, I really, I don't get grossed out by movies very easily. I watch, when I mean, we talked on the bonus last week about watching literally fucking like. Snuff films. <laughs> like snuff films and stuff. And like watching this, I had to a couple times be like. I can't, I gotta look away for a second. This is too much. This is a lot. (laughs) (laughs) So I wanted to, so that's amazing. I'm so glad you had, this is your first time seeing it because uh, I saw this movie. um, One of my first memories of my parents having an opinion on movies was Mm. someone at their church told them that it was a great film, like, and they saw it 
I couldn't have been more than like five. Like they were talking about something that had happened recently where they saw it in the theater, but I was born in 86. So like they were recounting a story of how bad this movie was that they went and saw it. (laughs) And my dad was like, it was the worst movie I've ever seen in my life. Um, And I remember that stuck with me. And I remember later on in like high school, buying the DVD kind of sight unseen just because I had found out who Cronenberg was. Right. Uh, And it was one of the last Cronenberg movies I saw. Because I I don't I think I like started with Existence and um, oh I remember Spider was the first Cronenberg movie I saw I saw it mm-hmm. in the theater it's like a weird movie about a crazy guy uh, Ray Fiennes plays him it's not very gory but I liked the movie enough that I was like sort of getting into his work and uh, find out that he was sort of the pioneer of body horror and like. Um, figuring out, you know, sort of making that genre a thing and, you know, getting really into using very intense gore and special effects to tell stories that are harder to tell than you'd think. Um, So I was really a big fan of his and I remember (laughs) getting this movie and just being like, God damn it. (laughs) Uh, Because it's one of his more upsetting movies and it's funny because... It's also one of his most successful and and uh, and um, commercially successful movies. Yeah, well, I mean, this movie was it a was huge parodied hit. on Dexter's Lab. But not know? only was it not only is it a cult classic, you know, that is sort of gone, you know, permeated into the culture. This movie was a hit. Like, right? They were people were surprised at how well the movie did in the theater um, because it's a. Uh, a gory horror remake <laughs> uh, in 1986 when a ton of you know stuff was coming out, um, and it did a great job. And I think it, I think it uh, really resonated with people for a lot of reasons. But one of those reasons specifically was because of the AIDS crisis. Yeah. So I've I've read some about this idea of of it being sort of a um, like an allegory, I guess, for for AIDS in a way, but. I don't know. I don't know if I if I buy like has Cronenberg talked openly about this or yeah, is this no, more he, like reading into it? He basically rewrote the screenplay as he does with almost all of his movies, um, even if he doesn't get credit. Um, and he was really surprised that people saw it that way. But it was mm-hmm. a thing where enough people saw it that way where it sort of became a cultural understanding of the of the movie where it right. felt like it was about AIDS. Um but he said he's like I wrote a movie that was about dying. That was about yeah. that was about you know the process of aging and and the inevitability of death. And um, I, he said if you are someone who's living with AIDS or, or has a partner that's living with AIDS, you're definitely going to see that in the movie. But I didn't intend it that way. Yeah. Um, so I, I it's definitely not supposed to be about AIDS. But at the time, it's hard to you know. This is the sort of like when all of your friends are slowly rotting away from this disease that no one's helping you with. Uh, <laughs> I yeah, think it would be hard to watch this movie and not see that. Um, so it's interesting. Yeah, especially with how much of it, like aesthetically at the beginning, especially of, of the transformation process, it does look very similar. Right. Like the way that his, his face is kind of like marked up as he's starting to slowly become. And like the way, did you ever see... Um, the not tender heart but like the lone lonely it's a movie about um angel heart (laughs) it's an hbo movie about um 
AIDS. Oh, the normal and, heart. Uh, normal heart. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, with um, Ruffalo. Ruffalo. I saw that on Broadway, actually. Really? Mm-hmm. I cried my fucking eyes out. <laughs> Did you ever see the movie? I didn't. Is it good? The movie's very good. It's really, really good. But kind of one of the scenes that reminded me of it actually was um, when she first notices the hairs on his back, mm-hmm. the way that she notices this little wound that he got from the computer chip that was in his bed yeah. or whatever. <laughs> um, the understanding of computers in this movie is very funny, it but is I mean, not, not dissimilar <laughs> from other shit from the era, I guess. Yeah, there's a scene almost exactly like the computer scene in The Thing. Where he's like, mm-hmm. how long do we have to, like, he's like, uh, the doctor's just typing into it. It's like alien-human hybrid or like alien-dog <laughs> hybrid. People like, he's like, oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, I made myself like, a fly. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> half, half rundle, half fly. Oh, no. Um, yeah. I like that he never tries to fix it. <laughs> Not until the very end is he even like, oh, what if I, like, keep fusing and, like, yeah find more people or whatever he's like way too far gone at that point (laughs) um but uh yeah so when when she's like looking at his back she finds the hair there's a scene like that in the normal heart where um uh somebody's like crying in a shower or something and like they notice he has like the little um what do you call those Lesion. Uh, lesion yeah he's got a little lesion on his foot yeah. And it's like the first time you see it and you're just like, oh, fuck. Yeah. No, it's, that's how it is in the mo- in the play, too. There's that same exact scene. And he like mm-hmm. uh, he's like sitting on the floor with his shoe. Off. I, this that's that scene I specifically remember from the play is like the one that's like so devastating because you don't yeah. know what he's doing. It looks really weird. He's like sitting there with his shoe off and then like his his boyfriend comes in and he's like, what are you doing? And then. And like the way their emotions change when they, when he shows him what's on his foot, it's like, oh no, <laughs> god damn it! Yeah, it's really, um, really intense. Yeah, and this movie does feel that for, way in certain places. Yeah, but but in terms of like the AIDS thing, I, I mean, I guess, I mean, we're living in a completely different context now, so it's hard to uh, put myself in that same place or whatever. But like, I guess the way that I kept seeing this movie. Um, throughout the process because part of what you got to remember about it is that like the first 20 minutes of the movie or so mm-hmm. he's not turning into a fly <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there's no, no. a lot of this movie where he's not turning into he's a fly a, yet he's a charming uh young social like a uh, nerd who is yeah you know does a lot of cute things with his girlfriend and they are experimenting they do accidentally turn a baboon inside out but mm-hmm. um Besides that one moment of gore, they're and you know they feel really bad about it, and then they successfully transfer a baboon. Right. So there's but a it's, ton it's, of movie where it's not that. It's just you know them trying to figure out what the machine is like. Sure, but there's also the the focus of it to me was on their relationship mm-hmm. and the love between them that was forming and kind of the way I saw his transformation and decay was kind of more about the way that relationships die Mm. and the way that like obsession with your work and obsession with the things that you do 
kind of can lead down this road of just like slowly rotting a relationship out. It's something I like, like part of what's so horrifying about this movie isn't just how gross it is. And again, it is very gross. So gross. But part of what's so horrifying about this movie was like how much of myself I saw in it. Oh, no. Where I'm watching him just like, like I, I've ruined relationships this exact same way. Where <laughs> by turning like, into a fly, <laughs> by turning into a fly, yeah, yeah. exactly. But but like by by becoming like obsessed with something yeah. and becoming really like because I've talked very openly about this on the show before about like how I am generally like an isolated guy. Mm-hmm. I do like to be like myself you know and (laughs) I don't like to go out I don't like to talk to people very much and so relationships can be very difficult for me at times because I do have a tendency to like look inward and to just disappear into myself totally and the way that I watched him kind of be like you know he he as an act of revenge against her, essentially, you know, they get in a fight, not even a fight. She just like goes off to be with her ex-boyfriend to do something. And he's like, well, I I'll show you I'll fucking teleport without you, bitch. Yeah. And he fucking does it. And then from then on, it's like so much of his dialogue is around. This is my experience that I'm going through. And like, he's shutting her out so much. And like, his his mood swings are really weird where like sometimes it's this like horrible thing where he's like, you wouldn't fucking understand how much this hurts me. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes it's like, you know, like you wouldn't understand how great this is for me. <laughs> and then yeah. sometimes he's got this, like the, the scene that really got me was the first time you see him walking on the wall and oh yeah, and she he's comes like, check in. it out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's like, check out this. Look at this. I can walk on the wall, and then he like pulls up his shirt, and he's like, what's this thing? I don't know. Huh? <laughs> Pretty interesting though. And I'm like, shit, that is that is something I do. That's a way that I like push people away. Is that like like this thing to them is like me? I've been like shut off for so long, and like and and, and um, you know, Closed like everyone uh, off of your world, and just like built this strange like thing <laughs> yeah whatever it is that i'm doing at the time you know whatever uh-huh. thing it is that i'm obsessed with at the time and then but there's like the one time where i'm like oh i'll let them in i'll show them my thing and then they're <laughs> just like but it's been so long and you're so far in now <laughs> and like i don't understand why this is everything to you <laughs> yeah <laughs> damn that this is um, really interesting because i mean i i am not an isolated person i'm a very outgoing and you know extroverted person so i would have never thought about it from that angle at all Mm -hmm. um but but it's so interesting and like it almost seems more intentional than you know thinking about it as like the death of a relationship seems more intentional than the what cronenberg says it's actually about which is actually dying yeah. Well, and then literally the end of it is that he fucking fuses with the machine. Like the yeah. end, the final thing that does it, that finally seals the deal and makes her like, all right, I need to end things, is <laughs> him being like, look, I'm actually the machine now. <laughs> right. <laughs> this and thing that I've, I've ruined both of our lives over. <laughs> right. After he vomits and melts off her ex-boyfriend's hand and foot. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so, I mean, the movie itself is so tight. It is written so specifically. You would, it's hard to imagine anything else. And there's two specific scenes I wanted to talk about that aren't in the movie that were taken out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've seen them because I, when I bought the DVD, they were on the DVD. Um, 
but there's one scene where he does try to uh, figure out how to unfuse things. And he, what he does is he takes that nice baboon that did survive and he puts a stray right. cat in the other one. And he's like, <laughs> okay. let's see what happens. And uh, right. he creates like a baboon cat. And then it like is in incredible pain and attacks him. It's very gross. And uh, he like he feels bad and like beats it to death. Um, oh, God. And that scene was so disturbing to people that people like the the preview audience they said like they couldn't empathize with him anymore um yeah when you beat an animal to death yeah even well it was like a inside out (laughs) fucking two-headed monkey cat but uh, right some cronenberg ass shit yeah they thought it would be understandable because like he was i think what they he had intended to do was like he was losing his mind because he's dying right like that's some one thing that didn't come through as much in the movie as i thought it did was that he's he's supposed to be like mentally deteriorating as well like he's such a quirky guy that mm-hmm. you almost just think he's just dealing with it <laughs> like he's not he doesn't seem like he's mentally deteriorating just physically because his physical deterioration is so intense. oh no i i definitely think it it's there i think it definitely comes through okay good yeah no I for think, sure it's, i think it's, it does but it, it, it was very clear to me he's going insane and and <laughs> And I think one of the not being himself, but I think one of the important scenes and that is that scene because he's like, this doesn't make any sense, but I'm going to try it anyway. Um, But they cut it out for very clear reasons. But I always kind of liked that scene because it always felt to me like he um, is just so frustrated with himself and he wants to kill himself. Um, I felt he was empathetic. I get why people don't like it because, but whatever. Uh, (laughs) And then there's the scene at the end that they cut out. They filmed like four different versions of it, but she has this, after the very last scene, there's a coda where her and the ex-boyfriend are like sleeping together. And Mm -hmm. she has like a dream where she, like the baby is fine. They basically, a little tag to be like, the baby is fine. (laughs) She didn't abort it. She didn't abort it and it's fine. And it's like, she has a dream where it like hatches out of a cocoon and flies away. Oh, interesting. Um, and they wanted to give, but I it didn't test well because people were like, this guy isn't the person she should be with. It's very sad that what just happened because their right. like, tragic love ended and then like no one wanted to see that. Um, so they just left it out. And also it didn't really explain much about the baby. It's like, it's fine. <laughs> Something happens. Yeah. Well, I kind um, of felt like he didn't even, if there was one weakness I was going to point out in the movie is that he doesn't really need to be there. He serves one boyfriend. purpose, which is to, yeah, his one purpose in the film is to get Jeff Goldblum to be jealous and, and get in the machine. Right. That's the only thing he really needs to be there for. I guess it's like helpful that he's there later to, 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 shoot the machine or whatever but you could have found another way to do it i think um he just doesn't have enough to do and it doesn't really feel like his his actions are never really well motivated he um you know at the beginning he's like a jealous prick and and he makes like a fake magazine i guess where he's like (laughs) i'm I'm exposing jeff goldblum's teleportation she's like no you can't and he's like all right i won't and that's it (laughs) all it took was her being like don't do that and he's like all right (laughs) all right fine whatever (laughs) yeah he uh actually 
that character before Cronenberg got a hold of the script was two different characters. There was an ex-boyfriend mm-hmm. and a boss. Okay. And he was like, no, just make them the same person. So it's like he was trying to be even more efficient, but <laughs> he, he, bar- he barely needs to be in the movie at all. I totally yeah. agree with you that he like, once his hand is getting melted off, you're like, wait, why is he even here? Yeah. <laughs> why he shouldn't have come here? Well, um, and he opens up a whole little like plot problem where you're like, if, if Goldblum is tr- experimenting with the idea of fusing the fly out of him by fusing with more people, why isn't he using the guy who he just melted the foot of who's completely immobile and can't get away? Right. Like, isn't ultimately, if you're Jeff Goldblum, isn't ultimately your goal is to become more human so that you can get back with uh, Gina Davis? Yeah, I would think so. But he's also just losing his fucking mind. Of course, so. he's insane at this point. Yeah. So yeah, I I, um, I think it's mostly a very fantastic movie. Um, and with so little time, you know, it's a tight one night. It's a tight ninety. It's yeah. a uh, it, it. There's only two characters and a third one that basically has nothing to do. Um, and uh, has some of the most affecting scenes and special effects I've ever seen in a movie. Yeah, um, but I I wanted to talk about this movie specifically because I think David Cronenberg is one of the best living directors, uh, and I think he doesn't get enough credit. Um, mm-hmm. He's generally treated as he's like almost never in the conversation. Uh, if anyone's yeah, talking it's about, yeah, seen as like schlocky in a way because of how disgusting it is, <laughs> and like, I mean, it's fair. It's not um, palatable. Um, yeah, it's to, hard to watch to a mainstream audience. It's, not even palatable to me and i again watch <laughs> snuff films you know right. like i've watched actual people die <laughs> and and this movie was like oh god <laughs> right i mean that there's a scene the scene that really haunted me for basically all of my life after high school is the scene where gina day and the scene it's the one scene that doesn't need to be in the movie at all it, j- mm-hmm. it just like really wants to hit home how scared she is about having a fly baby and she, it's a dream where she has an abortion. She's going to have an abortion and like something goes wrong and they like yeah. pull a football sized maggot out of her vagina. It's so disgusting. It's one of the most disgusting. It, like oh. just saying it makes me like my skin crawl. But um, it's like, this is another thing where like talking about like the idea of like how much of myself I see in the movie is like, <laughs> so it's something that we, you know, I, I haven't talked about openly and publicly yet, but I am okay to talk about now is that I am having a kid with my wife. Uh, we're due in <laughs> December. and But one of the great fears of having a kid is like the the fear of like passing on your bullshit. Yeah. You know? And totally. like all of your fucking garbage, like all of the stuff that you've spent your whole life being like, I fucking hate myself so much for this. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you're, and then you're you're watching a baby grow inside. You know, if you're having the baby inside of you, if you're if you're you know the partner inside of your partner, you're watching this baby grow, and you're just like you're like I hope so much that you're not a fucking fly. Like I really <laughs> like it, but like the metaphor. But I mean, it's like you know, yeah, totally. I hope so badly that you're not a fly when you come out, and and I hope just to God you're just a person. You yeah, know? just a regular. <laughs> Baby. Just regular ass dude, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I mean, it's so fuck. It's I mean, that scene is so incredible because it's literally one of the most disgusting things I've ever seen in my life. Like, I wouldn't mm-hmm. show it to somebody without like really warning them. Like, there's a scene in here that might haunt you for the rest of your life. Yeah. Um, but it's also one of the most like 
poignant and succinct like metaphors for like the anxieties around childbirth and and yeah. and and being alive and like passing on your genetics and memories and loves and fears and it's like the whole movie is constructed around this like stupid idea from the 50s <laughs> of yeah. like what if you got mixed up with a fly and that right. would be gross right and then he's a genius for taking that idea and then like really distilling it to this very watchable but very gross and thrilling and engaging movie about all of your fears of death and relationships um yeah and it's it's interesting how it's able to be this like gross out you know at times schlocky sort of piece but i mean just in this episode alone there's like four different interpretations of what turning into a fly even means (laughs) yeah and like that you're able to to draw so much out of it is is really impressive and it's almost like it's almost funny that he is like so good <laughs> and he's like but i'm gonna make it really gross really? so nobody wants to watch it <laughs> i'll yeah. never watch this again oh it's no no so gross. i was honestly like a little i didn't i watched it today because i didn't uh-huh. want to watch it last night and go to bed thinking about it oh yeah no my poor wife <laughs> is in the bed next to me and i'm like you should probably just like read or something <laughs> She doesn't handle this sort of stuff nearly as well as oh, I do. I'm sorry, I should have warned you. I thought, there was a couple I times where she like looked about... up from her book for like a second, and she's like, "Oh, <laughs> looks back." Yeah, I thought about specifically warning you about this one, but I was like, "He can handle it." I didn't think about your wife. Um, I'm sorry, but uh, no, I mean, and the thing is, is if you watch through Cronenberg's the rest of his oeuvre, um, you know, he's so much more of an arty filmmaker. Like, mm-hmm. like Videodrome, you've seen Videodrome? No. Oh, okay. I was going to put that one, but I didn't want to like, I didn't want to start the audience off on a Cronenberg movie that is very long and boring. And he, he has all of these movies that are very heady and surreal. Mm-hmm. Like Videodrome is about a guy who finds a snuff film that he thinks might be real and not like a, a weird like extreme porn thing and they get sucked into his television and a VCR grows out of his stomach and it's nuts. Oh, like, um, what's the movie where they get sucked into the television? Uh, ter- I just saw it on Amazon, vision. I almost watched it. Um, uh, no, it's like a comedy, it's like a, <laughs> a kid's movie from like 1992 or weird something. Weird science. Uh, no. I don't remember. No. But, <laughs> no, dude, <laughs> fuck no. But he, he uh, Naked Lunch, the fucking like uh-huh. attempt at a Burroughs, uh, you know, translation to film, uh, existence, and all these really like heady. And then even later when he did um, History of Violence and Eastern Promises, um, you know, just very concept heavy movies. Um, but I think what's great about him is that he's always able to take those things and fill them with stuff that's so interesting visually. Yeah. Not even in like a Yodorowsky, like, ooh, it's beautiful just because it's aesthetic, but just like, how did they do this? (laughs) Like, what is this fucking practical effect? How is it even possible? And he's able to fill all of that with such charm and, and, and tension and horror that you can watch those movies and I think usually be pretty engaged and entertained. And, uh, I don't think there's anyone else who even comes close. I mean, I like Stuart Gordon a lot because I'm a big, like, practical effects person, but like, um, I think he's just in a class of his own. So I'm really happy he had such a big hit early on 
And then he was able to sort of like do whatever he wanted after this. And we got some really crazy stuff out of it. (laughs) Yeah. He's like, um, he's like an Ari Aster. Yeah. I think that Ari Aster Aster is like a, is like a Cronenberg. Right. But but I do think he, Ari Aster like really is, uh, holding the flame of talking about really intense personal, like human stuff through the language of just absolutely difficult to watch gore. (laughs) Yeah. Uh Um, and so I hope that's where I hope Ari is going. Um, just doing more stuff like that. I hope he makes the fly. I, I hope we get a third the fly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, whatever that means. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so obviously I would recommend it. I think it's an incredible film. Um, yeah, I would recommend it uh, with the caveat of um, don't watch it uh, close to bedtime. No, Bad time don't. to watch it. Uh, and uh, don't watch it after having uh, just eaten. Mm-hmm. It's very like again nauseatingly gross. <laughs> like I literally, I never yeah. get, I never feel this way after a movie, and I like I genuinely felt like sick after I watched yes. it. Yes, I have, I have to agree with Jeremy and double down on that because like I love, I absolutely love all kinds of like body horror, practical effects stuff. Like we've talked about on the show, I'm a big fan of Stuart Gordon. I'm a big fan of Possession. Like. I like movies where you see, you know, society where people's like hands are growing out of other people's faces and stuff, but it's usually good, clean fun because you can kind of tell that it's just like latex and, and, you know, corn syrup. But this movie, it's not just the effects. It's how well done they are and how deeply intense the emotional relationships between the characters are. And it, makes you feel like you want to throw up all the time. Yeah. <laughs> like the movie fascinating is fascinating movie. <laughs> so disgusting. Um yeah, you see a guy throw up on a donut and eat it. See like that's it's not just that it's gross visually, it's gross when you're just saying it. Like yeah. you don't want to well, even two... think about a maggot coming out of a vagina. <laughs> yeah. There's two scenes also that really um they're very funny because they like kind of encapsulate the audience experience of the film and it's the donut scene because he pukes on the donut like just he doesn't even think about it he just does it because that's how he eats now yeah he's like in the middle of talking to gina davis and he pukes on the donut he's like oh that's disgusting (laughs) yeah yeah like like, he suddenly realizes after seeing somebody else view it he's like oh that's gross yeah (laughs) and i do that (laughs) and then there's another scene where um the boyfriend is like watching a tape of him doing uh, also puking i believe yeah yeah. (laughs) it's another video of him puking (laughs) onto his food and then slurping up the uh the The puke food file yeah yeah and and then the Um, boyfriend is just like covering his face and he's like oh my god (laughs) yeah he's like no you have to stop this yeah don't do that um yeah so i really really intense content warning about how fucking gross this movie is but if you can handle it um i think it's definitely one of the best horror movies it's it's you know it's a great introduction to cronenberg because yeah. it's it's a very quick easy to watch in terms of it keeps your attention uh and it's incredibly and it's emotionally easily- engaging is easily uh, with a lot of clearance, like country mile ahead of any other movie that's this gross. Like any <laughs> yeah. other movie that's disgusting like this, this is probably three to four times better than. Yeah, this like, is if not way more. <laughs> the Citizen Kane of body horror. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. So I love it. Uh, definitely check it out. Yeah. 
Uh, thanks so much for listening to Generation Loss. Uh, please be safe and uh, don't think too much about this gross movie <laughs> after you watch yeah. it. But uh, thanks so much for listening. It's been a great time talking with you. Um, please follow us on Twitter at Gen Loss Pod. If you'd like to hear more of us talking about movie news and other things, other opinions on movies, you can go to patreon.com slash generation loss uh follow me at kingdom Mazography, follow jeremy at jeremy thunder uh and we will see you in the discord bye bye